Hey, welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. You can learn more about Youth Pastor Theologian online at youthpastortheologian.com or find us on social media at Youth Theologian. I'm your host, Mike McGarry. Thanks for joining us for this conversation about practicing theology and youth ministry. I'm here in studio with my friend, Seth Stewart. Seth, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Feeling really honored to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's it's truly our pleasure uh, to have you on the podcast. So, Seth, uh, Seth is the Director of Theology with Spoken Gospel. Can you share a little bit with our listeners about what Spoken Gospel is? Yeah, Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit and our mission is to explain, meet people where they're reading the Bible, explain the Bible, and show how it points to Jesus and his good news. And so right now we're in the middle of phase one of that project, which is creating one uh, art house style short film for every book of the Bible, explain the main point of an entire book and how yeah. that main point is fulfilled in Jesus. Mm-hmm along with creating 750 companion devotionals, which... Uh, no big deal. No big deal. Just 750 the Bible of them. <laughs> 750. We've divided the Bible into 750 literary units, breaking down each of those literary units' main point and how they point to Jesus. And then we also have a podcast that kind of does all the deep work and homework that we put into those things. Yeah, that, that's a lot. So we're going to hear we're going to hear a little bit more <laughs> about about how all that comes together in uh, in just a minute. But I, I'm so thankful for you and for spoken gospel and what you're doing um, with that ministry. Uh, but Thanks, before we, before we dive into that, I think it's always fun for us to get to know our guests as teenagers a little bit. So, okay. uh, Seth, what was your first car? And tell us a little bit about your first car accident. What happened? Well, my first car wasn't until I was a sophomore in college. Mm-hmm. So I basically missed my just missed my teenage years. I grew yeah. up abroad. I grew up in Europe. Um, the driving age is higher there. And so by the time I moved to the States, was the only first time I had an opportunity to drive. Regardless, yeah. my first car was an SUV, a Kia, a gold Kia Sorento. Nice. It was... Not a great college car, but it was also a great college car because I could cram so many people into it at all times. It was awesome. <laughs> I miss it. Oh man, that's uh, and it was gold. So when you say gold. gold, like it's like a dull gold or like kapow gold. It was it's like a pretty kapow gold. If you put in like two thousand three or <laughs> Kia Sorento, it'll come up as pretty bright gold. So you never <laughs> lost your car in the parking lot. I never did. I did have <laughs> a group of friends one time. Well, actually, I had a group of friends one time steal my car keys and park my car somewhere on campus and then not tell me where it was. So I had to walk the entire college campus looking for my car. But that was the only time. You could have probably just asked anyone, hey, do you know where my car is? And they'd be like, oh, the gold one? Yeah, it's down there. Right? <laughs> the gold one's right over there. <laughs> very, very identifiable. Very identifiable. Uh, my wife and I, when when we moved into the minivan stage of life, we got this bright honking blue uh, Dodge yes. and Caravan. And I have a our, friend our, with that exact same car. Oh, oh yeah. So you know what I'm color. talking about, right? It's not yeah. just blue. It is like cookie it's monster a, blue. 
And so that was, yeah, our friends all dubbed it the Cookie Monster. So there That's are great. some car colors that just should not should be. not exist. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Hey, so in this episode, we're talking about gospel-centered exegesis, and um, at Youth Pastor Theologian, one of our convictions is uh, we want to teach Scripture, right? That we want to uh, exposit the Word and teach, apply what what does God's Word say without shame and with full confidence that that is how that God would build His church th- through the preaching of His Word, and of course, we want to do yes. that. Uh, in a way that Christ is at the heart and at the center of everything um, that we read in Scripture. So uh, you are a natural um, fit for who I wanted to have this conversation with. So could you share um, about spoken gospel and how, like, uh, unpack for us a little bit more what you shared with us a little bit earlier? Yeah, well... What's funny, our our I'll I'll give just you just a glimpse into our process yeah. and how we yeah. think about things. Right now, the goal is to cover every literary unit in Book of the Bible. So it's like our roadmaps mapped out for them. We haven't done stuff on Ezekiel yet. So we're gonna do stuff on Ezekiel. Yeah. Uh, but that starts with the theology team spending about two weeks plus just reading uh the book of Ezekiel, the book of First John, whatever it is. And reading that book, meditating on that book, collecting our own thoughts, reading commentaries. And then after that two weeks, we get in a room and we put all those ideas on a piece of paper and start editing them down into uh, what we believe the main point that book is making, the literary units included within that book, and how we might go preaching um, what that text means to its original audience, Mm -hmm. and then how it is good news for us in the given moment. And then from that conversation, a podcast is born. And from that podcast, a script is born. And from that script, almost everything you see that we make is is also born. <laughs> okay. So you do the podcast conversation in the, the deep dive of the exegetical meat and, meat and bones That's right. first. That's right. Yeah. A lot of it happens in our, we call them our story summits, um, okay. where we get in a room and like, what is this book about? What is it trying to communicate? Who's right? Which side of the argument's right? Is Jonah a real person or not? And we have all those conversations there. And then me, I come into the podcast studio and then I'm grilled by David Bowden, uh, my co-host, and we have that conversation on air. And a lot of the times what ends up happening there is those ideas are fleshed out Mm -hmm. and they normally become good news to me for the first time in that live conversation. Yeah. We're just sitting there having a freewheeling conversation about the Bible. And I'm like, I never thought about how these two things connect with one another. Yeah. That's amazing. And we kind of geek out on the podcast. And yeah. that hopefully informs the rest of our content we create. Yeah. So so you you dig into all the all the meat and bones on the podcast, and then you distill it down to uh the devotionals, right? So you That's break right. it down usually by chapter from Kind of poking through the site, um, so yeah, it's usually basically by chapter. By chapter. Um, sometimes we've done shorter ones, like, uh, and sometimes we do longer ones. I mean, the Book of Kings is giant, and yeah. oftentimes those battle accounts run over the course of two, three, and even five right. chapters. But yeah. we try our best to determine a particular literary unit or contained thought, and then chart the argument or the story through that. Um, yeah. 
that literary unit. Okay. So then after after that, then how do you put together your overview videos? Because those are around yeah. 10 minutes, right? Yep, they the are about 10 minutes through. long. Yeah, so. Yeah, the, what happens there is that after we do all that study, after the podcast has been born, I meet with our director and we have what we call story spine meeting. Um, most narratives kind of follow a pretty basic pattern, right? It's like you have a little bit of exposition and setting. It explains what's on the line, the desire the character has, the obstacle preventing them from achieving that thing. You have a climactic, or not a climactic moment, but an initiating action that sends them on a quest, leading to a climactic battle with evil, leading to a series of falling actions and resolution. Uh, And so we kind of, right now what we do is we literally draw a giant arc on the board and then start putting the book of the Bible that we're studying, the book of Joel, the book Mm. of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and try to map the facts that we have about that book into a coherent narrative that has Jesus as its surprising climax and resolution. And that's kind of the very, the broadest level <laughs> way yeah. I can talk about that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but we, that's, what we tr- that's what we try to do. We try to tell stories through the Bible. And some of it's challenging because not all biblical books are stories. The book of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is, is not a story. Yeah. Um, but um, that's, that's the challenge. That's yeah. the challenge. So, which um, which book of the Bible that you guys have done so far has been the most surprisingly enjoyable for you? That because sometimes, I mean, we've all done this as as youth workers. Yes, when we've taught long enough, sometimes you're you're teaching through something, and you go, "Oh, I I never realized that before until yes. you you really dig into it and you're preparing to teach it. Then you're like, "Wow, how did I not know this?" So which right now which has done that for you the most is being blown by the book of Malachi. Mm, Malachi. Malachi. How did you, that's what the joke's been around the office yeah. but <laughs> anyway, is the I, Italian I've been prophet. Rolling my, yeah. <laughs> the Italian prophet Malachi. Uh no that Mal- Malachi has been kind of blowing my mind recently. At the very end of the book of Malachi um there's a summary statement yeah. that the prophet makes. He says where he says, like, and all the prophets, the messenger's coming, he'll be like Elijah, and this is the message of all the prophets. And so, in a a very real sense, Malachi functions as the capstone of all the minor prophets. Malachi is summarizing the message of all the minor prophets. And he says, the summary message of the minor prophets is that there's another messenger coming, Mm -hmm. another another, um, prophet coming, who will tear down the, re- the corrupt religious establishment of Israel and prepare the way for God to come. That's the message of the minor prophets. Like, okay, yeah. that's really interesting. And very specifically, that's John the Baptist. Right. Um, which is weird because I'm used to having like Jesus prophesied in the Old Testament and that's it. Yeah. To have like John the Baptist pr- prophesied is really fascinating. I think he's kind of unique in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what blew my mind was throughout the book of Malachi, Um, there's this continued refrain that as the priests of Israel are corrupted, offering bad sacrifices to God, failing to lead God's people, God over and over again promises that he will restore the Levitical priesthood. I'm getting really nerdy. Is this, is this okay? Oh, oh, this is amazing. Dude, Uh, we're literally named youth (laughs) pastor theologian. Yes, please go nerdy. Yeah. Of all youth pastors to nerd out with, we are that. Yeah. So it says he will fulfill the Levitical priesthood. 
uh, or the Levitical priesthood will be restored. Mm-hmm. So, fascinatingly, uh, John the Baptist, the messenger prophesied at the book of, uh, in the book of Malachi, is a Levite. Yeah. More than likely, his father was Zechariah, the, the high priest. Mm-hmm. And even though he never functions in the temple, John the Baptist nevertheless restores and completes the Levitical priesthood when he baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. Because baptism is a type of sacrifice. It's a kind of death. Mm-hmm. He, le- he sacrifices Jesus in the waters of death and raises him back out. And what's the first thing that John says when he sees him? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. What was the purpose of the Levitical priesthood? That, but to take away yeah. the sins of God's people as they offer sacrifices. Yeah. But the history of the priesthood is that they've never been able to do so faithfully, consistently, or with enough, um, um, not, not broadly enough, yeah. to atone for all people's sins, and even then, year after year, time after time, right? Mm-hmm. But John the Baptist, as the final Levitical priest, offers the final sacrifice for sins in Jesus when he baptizes him in the Jordan River. That blew my mind. Yeah. That's... And... <laughs> I love this. So, like when you <laughs> dig into the text, it's just so exciting when your mind is just blown away. Right. And I think that one specifically, yeah. the reason why that blew my mind was I'm used to hearing the Hebrews version of the end of the Levitical priesthood. Yeah. Book of Hebrews tells us, well, Jesus is just a better priest. He lives forever. He's from the order of Melchizedek, which means it's kind of like an eternal priesthood thing, if you understand mm-hmm. that history. Um he only has to do it one time. Okay, I get it. Jesus is a better priest. That's why the Levitical priesthood doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating about the John the Baptist turn is that no, there's no more need for the Levitical priesthood because a final Levitical priest actually pay actually offered a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Yeah. God restored the purpose of the Levitical priesthood in addition to giving us a better priest. Anyway, that's why yeah. I was like freaking out. Well, and Paul couples that then to say, therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Yes, that's right. That's right. Right. After so, after spending the first 11 chapters all elucidating on how are we saved. Yes. Yeah. Offer your bodies. How? How about that? There's, there's one gospel thread throughout all of it. So, that's what's been blowing my mind most recently. That's, I, I love it. I love it. So, as you're... Um, as you're going through the text, as you're geeking out and nerding out and doing all the things, right? Um, yes. How does the gospel shape the way that you practice exegesis while building a series? Um, and then how do you move from um, gospel exegesis to presenting the material? And how do you envision that then translating for youth workers? Yeah. The way the gospel shapes our exegesis is an interesting question because I would almost say like, well, exegesis comes first and then the gospel, but to your point and to your question, um, we frequently say around the writing table that we're not done writing until the gospel sounds like good news to us, until this passage feels like emotionally resonant with us and feels like good news to our soul. Mm-hmm. So the way the gospel informs our our writing, our teaching, our theology is like we don't study the Bible except to worship 
from the Bible. Yeah. Um, and particularly to worship the goodness and graciousness of Jesus in a particular passage of scripture. So I would say that's probably like the central motivation for us. You know, it's like the gospel informs our exegesis by telling us that the purpose of exegesis, the purpose of study is actually worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and that drives a lot of what we're doing. Yeah. So as you, I mean, so there are different methods of gospel centered preaching and right. Like Brian Chappell's yep. like fall and condition focus and, yep. um, you know, the whole framework of creation, fall, um, you know, salvation, glorification. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, Simeon Trust has their other kind of interesting um, arc. I, I don't even know. Oh, what I don't know. It, I'm, I'm familiar with that one. I need, yeah, I need to look it's, that one up. it's confusing. I, I've heard it explained so <laughs> many confusing. times, but I, yeah, I still have yet to wrap my head around it. Um, but there, there, there are a few different models, right? For how do we, how do we, how do we find Christ in these mm-hmm. random places where yeah. it doesn't talk about him. There's not a um, mm-hmm. Messiah, a messianic prophecy. Um, how do we, what does gospel-centered exegesis look like in parts of scripture where the gospel is not apparent? Yeah. I mean, obviously, the first step is like being intimately aware with the story of the story of Jesus. It's yeah. like I think a lot of a gospel-centered exegesis is almost run on instinct. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really I know the contours of the story of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, ascension, and continuing operation through the work of the Spirit. Yeah. And I have that embedded in my soul. <laughs> Yeah. I've read the Gospels multiple times. I read commentaries about the Gospels. I love the Gospel. I need to reapply to my heart every time I get angry with my kids. And I have an intimacy with the Gospel that makes my ears prick when I read other stories that sound something like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, like, I think the first step is like, how do you start some sort of systematic approach to seeing Jesus in all scripture, it like it begins with a deep soul level awareness with the good news of Jesus Christ as a set of facts and as a article of history, but also as a personal reality that allows you to yeah. read the story of David and Goliath with new eyes or with different eyes. Um, so I think that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. That's not the full answer to the question, yeah. but I think it starts there. And then I think the other part is to pay attention to the details of the text that you're studying. Whenever I was a youth pastor, um, I would always teach my students the Swedish method mm-hmm. of reading the Bible. Are yep. you, uh, if, you're, if your listeners aren't familiar with it, it's just a four symbols or three symbols that I added a fourth to. Uh, the three symbols are um, a light bulb. You read a passage of scripture. What lights up to you about the text? What's the light bulb? And you just write down all the things that you notice, mm-hmm. the question mark, what are the questions you have, the things you don't understand. What's the arrow? What's the thing the text is calling us to do or believe? And the fourth symbol I had was the cross. What I would always tell my students is that very often the questions that you have are more than likely the place you end up seeing Jesus. (laughs) I don't know why that is the case, but the things that we don't understand in a particular text might be the ways in which we most quickly see Jesus because those are the places that our curiosity has peaked. Those are the places that we're being invited to study the Bible more deeply. Um, and 
demanding that yeah. we um, approach that passage with more humility than we we thought in the thought at first. And that posture places us in a position, like a yeah. spiritual position, to yeah. receive the good news of Jesus um, and to hear it afresh in a new passage of scripture. I'm talking about like heart level things here, which is I don't think is what you're you're into attention to the question was but no no that's good back on me no it's good because uh, i think what you're getting at is is really important um i think sometimes we can be so familiar with with scripture and so familiar with the gospel that sometimes even youth workers can get bored with bible study yes right and i mean how many times have we phoned in um you know, let's be honest, right? How many times have we phoned right, in right. Our, our Bible study and our message preparation? Oh, well, you know, I'm just teaching on this passage that I've already taught on like a bajillion times, and I've read it forever mm-hmm. since I was in children's church myself. Um, and I, I really appreciate your admonition towards curiosity. And instead of just jumping straight to the same way that you've always taught this passage, just slow your roll and ask good questions of text and mm-hmm. let it warm your own yes. heart and let it drive your own curiosity to really chew on it. Right. And if you feel curious and if you have, feel like you have a satisfying answer to your own questions, that passage will eventually sound like good news to you. Yeah. Which I think goes back to one of our central, like the purpose of Bible study is to worship. And if I'm not personally worshiping in my own study behind the scenes here at Spoken Gospel, I don't really expect anybody else on the other side of a YouTube video to worship either. Right. Um, and I think as pastors, more so than like the polished sermon, um, our students pick up on a heart that is yeah. engaged yeah. in what they're reading, even if you just sound like a nerdy uncle. Like, but that nerdy uncle is like all in on this thing and his life is being changed by something that they haven't been changed by yet. Mm-hmm. And there's a curiosity there that I think is really important yeah. for pastors to, to, I mean, it was important for me to realize because there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why you get up on a Sunday morning and you feel like you just can't deliver another sermon. But if I know the most important thing for my students is to see a, a man or a woman actually engaged with curious by and worshiping the text rather yeah. than, nailing the joke and being super relatable like yeah. that's really powerful <laughs> yeah yeah uh so i oh, i have so many questions um <laughs> so i i think it's really what what you're doing with spoken gospel um is a really incredible resource um in a sense is almost like a just a, like a treasure trove of commentary Really, I mean, yeah, it's basically yeah. like a multi-layered Bible commentary that you're putting out on the website. Um, as we're thinking about applying spoken gospel in youth ministry, um, how would you recommend youth workers to to use your resources? Do yeah, you, do you think that if, if someone was going to use your study on uh, on Malachi when it's done, um, would they structure a series according to how you have the devotionals laid out and using kind of the podcast and the overview video for their own message preparation? Like, how yeah. how would you recommend youth workers to to use the resources 
that you're providing because they're really excellent resources. I really appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah, we realized early on in the project that I was like, you know, there's no place I can go online and type in Malachi 2 or Ezekiel 13 and be guaranteed to be given something of substance that explains what that passage is all about, yeah. let alone how it's about Jesus. Yeah. So, we, we realized pretty quickly, like, man, this is actually a really exciting thing that we get to provide to the world for free. For real, yeah. It's just, it's just every passage of scripture is explained yeah. eventually. We're still about <laughs> a year and a half out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's all about Jesus. Well, um, hurry up, I would, okay, Seth. Um, just hurry up. No, I'm trying. Hurry up. I am trying. I am um the way that i would say here's some examples of the way people have used our content yeah. in the past um our introductory videos over the book of the bible show those as an introduction to the book of that by uh, of that uh, of the series we've had a lot of churches use them as part of the worship service we've designed them to be that way uh we've designed them so that they are worshipful experiences mm-hmm. so they blend really well with worship times frequently they can offer give you an excellent opportunity to expand on some of the themes of the books use our podcast as you suggested as um study materials and if you've got some students who are into it i think they might they might be interested in, in it as well and then our devotionals are all on uversion and so on uversion uh you can have like a daily devotional reading plan mm-hmm. And you can sign up with groups of people. Yeah. So if you have a small group, you're a group of students, you can all like sign up to one of our reading plans simultaneously. Yeah, the that's leader awesome. of that group. I've used you version before. I didn't realize that your stuff was on there. So that's yeah, that's huge. Because students actually do it. Like it's a, a devotional that's, that you do with right. students that they'll actually do because it's accessible, it's on that's their right. phone and yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. you can you you use it that way. And I mean I I mean, I do a lot of study for these, so even if your students don't read them, I, w- I would hope they're helpful for youth pastors mm-hmm. as they are getting doing their own sermon prep. And I mean, the way I mean, the, our goal is to communicate a literary unit and under and how it points to Jesus in less than seven hundred and fifty words, which means we leave a lot on the table, yeah. Like you know, in order to do that, so I really do hope it's like a cheat sheet for leaders and for pastors. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, what's this basically about? Oh, okay, it's basically about a coming messenger who will judge evil and cleanse Israel from their their corruption. Oh, that person's John the Baptist. Jesus calls uh, John the Baptist this person three times. This happens over here. Yeah. Like, okay, that's enough for me to reread Malachi with my students in mind and get me 50% of the way to writing my sermon. Like, I really hope it's like fodder and like kindling yeah. for youth pastors fire um and then i think it's it's really helpful a small group curriculum too Mm -hmm. we um have daily prayer in the office over here um and frequently we'll pull up the things we've written in the past (laughs) because we'll read through a psalm and the psalm just feels incomprehensible to us and so we'll read our uh own devotional and be like oh that's really helpful now i know how to pray yeah (laughs) through (laughs) through the psalm now um so I think those are the, the best ways that our content can be consumed. We're yeah. also on like Right Now Media, and we're on a whole bunch of places. We're on Open Network. You can download our content, share them with mm-hmm. families and friends, put them in newsletters that you send yeah. out to parents. Like we want to be as accessible and available to anybody as mm-hmm. as they need us to be. Yeah. So I mean, I just want to h- highlight 
what you guys are doing. And um, I, I don't necessarily intend to have this episode just be a, one long commercial for Spoken <laughs> Gospel. Uh, but it, it is, if nothing else, it is a really, really good commentary uh, resource for youth workers who may be listening um, as they uh, prepare uh, to to teach scripture. So uh, I guess my, my last question for you is a, a bit broader um, because okay. you, you, you're a seasoned youth pastor and, and now uh, the theological guru at Spoken Gospel and helping to uh, big picture uh, oversee how do I break down Ezekiel or Malachi or you know, just how yeah. do we break this down in a um, digestible format for normal mm-hmm. people, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the questions and struggles that a lot of us as youth workers face is um, how do I, what am I going to teach and how am I going to teach it? Um, and if we, if I want to teach through a book of the Bible or a portion of a book of a Bible, um, sometimes it can be confusing to know, do I just follow the chapter divisions? Do I yep. go like yep. super, super slow, John Piper taking seven years to go through Romans? Or like, uh, what recommendations yep. do you have for youth workers who want to teach through a book of the Bible, but they don't really know how to build a series of their own that's accessible yeah. for like real actual middle school middle school students. <laughs> uh, I mean, part of the reason why spoken gospel exists is to tell the stories of the Bible and the way the stories of the Bible want to be tell- told, which generally means there's some narrative flow to a lot of scripture, not all of scripture, but a lot of scripture. Um, and so I think being attentive to that is a really important thing. Um, sometimes uh, which is a really vague answer, so let me let me uh, let me uh, say that differently. Often, when I come to the book, a book like Malachi, I haven't studied it in years. I'm not entirely sure what's on the line when I read through it the first couple times. But when I start, once you read it, you're like, you know, the chapter divisions actually kind of make a lot of sense. And then, I'm like, okay, I just assume that okay, Malachi will be a four chap four a four lesson series. Mm-hmm. And then immediately I go to some more digestible form of content, like a podcast, like Help Me Teach the Bible by Nancy Guthrie, or I open up a commentary by John Stott, or, or somebody that's like really easy and accessible and not a lot yeah. of energy to, to get into. Yeah. Like, well, actually, it'd probably be better if it was just two, it, it was two movements, because in Malachi, you have God judging Israel, the nations, and then Israel again, and all that judgment is contained there, and all the hope is saved for the back half of chapter two all the way through four. It's like, oh, okay, so one sermon on judgment and one sermon on hope. That's helpful. And then I go back and I reread the passage with that lens in mind. I'm like, okay, I really see this. This is really clear. But with that rubric in mind, I also come up with problems. Like, oh man, like he said this was all about judgment, but there's this whole little line here about a remnant. I thought all the hope was saved for chapters three and four. Why is it here in chapter one and a half? And then I'm like, okay, I pick up, at that point, I pick up a more ex- expensive commentary, <laughs> one with, a, with bigger words in it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, fascinating. That's actually part of a continued like melody being played throughout the Minor Prophets. And Malachi's picking it up from Amos and he's sprinkling it in the w- same way Amos did. Fascinating. You know, my students don't need to know that. Um, you know, I don't need to put that. I think that the two chapter division is best yeah. or the two section. So I'm just explaining to you how I yeah. approach things. Yeah. 
I go from like gut instinct. I think this should be four. Easily digestible content. It seems like it should be two. Okay, I think that breaks for these reasons. This commentary says it should be three. Okay, I think three. Uh, and that's how I generally work through things. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, is that magical thinking? Is that like accessible? Like I want it to be maximally helpful mm-hmm. here. Can I be more specific? Yeah, no, if you want to, if you want to go more specific, by all means. Yeah. And the only other, so besides that, that's my general, and that's my advice to my staff writers, because I'm not the only writer for us. Um, that's my advice for my staff writers. Like, hey, yeah. trust your instinct. Yeah. Do it, Go through the process I just described. The other part kind of goes back to what I said before. Sometimes, and I mean, most of scripture is narrative, you clearly have the rise and fall of a single character or of a single story arc or of a single idea uh, happening in a given section. Yeah. Like Samuel, uh, it's not Samuel, I'm sorry, Saul, God isn't speaking to him. So he visits the witch of Endor and then Samuel comes back from the dead and then Samuel commits, uh, and then Saul commits suicide. That feels like a pretty contained literary unit where Saul is at the end of his rope, goes and visits a necromancer, and then dies at the end. I think, but because I'm a human being who li- likes stories, mm-hmm. can kind of tell that's a chunk of yeah. scripture that should be understood in connection with itself. Right. And so a lot of times, paying attention to what we know and understand intuitively as compelling narrative or um literature it's like oh this story has ended this idea has ended yeah john has stopped talking about love and moved on to loving loving god and move on to yeah. loving others like i think there's like that skill set that we can always improve yeah on. so when you're teaching through something like a, a portion of scripture that's one contained unit but it's a longer it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a long yeah um chunk right how do you mm-hmm. just as as a youth pastor? How do you handle yes. that? Like you're not going to stand up yes. in front of the youth group and read three chapters verbatim out of the the Bible, right? And then exegete it, That's and right. then apply That's it. Right. Like so, how do you go from exegesis to actual teaching? Um, what what yes. does that look like? I'm a big proponent of there being that a passage of scripture has one main point. I know that, mm-hmm. you know, it can be debated, yep. but I think that's, and even if it's not true, and oftentimes it's not, scripture's often making many points simultaneously, what our students can handle in a 20 to 25 minute setting, or less or more, I don't know what your church context is, is one main point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, they that's basically what we handle. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and yeah. even me as an adult, like, I like it when I'm clearly given one main point and all of the different um, <clears throat> implications of that one main point are made clear yeah. to me. So when I come to a really long passage of scripture, that's like, oh, this literary unit's five chapters of scripture. It has seven battle accounts. There's a poem in the middle of it. So and somehow, you know, uh, <laughs> the Holy Spirit falls and somebody starts prophesying. What do I do with this? Yeah. Like, well, what's the one main point those battle accounts are meant to achieve? Oh, the point is that no matter where David goes, he's successful. And these seven different battle accounts show seven different ways in which David is successful. And when the Holy Spirit falls, it's proof that God is with him in those yeah. successes. And that, you know, you know and what I mean? that's how he is and successful. So choo- right, yeah. And that's how he's successful. And so, at that point, I'm like, okay, I can choose a representative story from these seven. Mm-hmm. 
explain that or even just narrativize those seven ones in like, you know, for my yeah. students and say, and here's the passage I think we really should focus on because the author himself summarizes. Yeah. David was victorious over all of his enemies because God's spirit was with him. That's the, that's the mm-hmm. main point of today. And then I use those stories as illustrations unpacking that main point. Yeah. So I think the, the and that's oftentimes, I, I made that sound really easy, oftentimes understanding the main point and making it really clear is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. If you're stuck in the weeds of Galatians, what is Paul's main point yeah. exactly? And oftentimes choosing one main point means de-emphasizing another main point. Um, and I think I had to learn myself to give myself permission to do yeah. that. I'm not an unlimited human being. I can't say everything I need to say in the space of words that I have. Mm-hmm. My my students can't hear everything that could be said yeah. in a given point in time. And I think perhaps, in my judgment, my wisdom is that I would rather to be exposed of more of the Bible, uh, like more books of the Bible over the course of my ministry, mm-hmm. rather than fewer. Yeah. But I'd rather choose more selective main points, work through books of the Bible more quickly, yeah. And maybe in the five-year span of my ministry, get through 30 books of the Bible because I'm wanting them to be exposed to all the different ways Scripture is uh, inviting them to consider. Mm -hmm. And I think if you want to have some sort of contextual reasons to to buy into what I'm saying here, it's like most books of the Bible were were written to be read aloud or even memorized. Um, They weren't designed, I believe, to be isolated in singular sets of verses and then preach from like that. I think that there is a space for that. Obviously a space for that, but being attentive to the medium that the gospel, the um, old Testament and new New Testament authors used is like, these were public oracles that people listened to in a single setting. So being mindful of that, I was like, okay, Oftentimes, like the whole book of Malachi maybe should just be one sermon, actually, mm-hmm. because maybe it should be. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was intended it's to a be. It's short book. To its original it was meant audience. to be read out loud. Right. <clears throat> oh. And do I really want to preach yeah. a s- sermon on judgment without any hope? Doesn't judgment need hope? Shouldn't it end that way? Yep. You know? Yep. Um, so those are, those are everything yeah. I can think of yeah. right off the top no, of my that's head. That's really good. Um, so as we, as we wrap up this conversation that I think has been really, really helpful. Um, uh, is there any final uh, nuggets of, of wisdom or pieces of counsel uh, that you want to share with our listeners? Can I just share a nerdy fact that oh, I love? Sure. I love nerdy facts. <laughs> this was when I was studying the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah gets swallowed by this great fish, and you know he's in the bottom of the sea, makes his prayer, goes to Nineveh. What I found fascinating as I was studying that book was that throughout the Minor Prophets, and even some of the major prophets, over and over again, they describe Israel's exile into Babylon and by Assyria, uh, into Babylon and Assyria, as a swallowing by a great sea beast. Multiple prophets over and over again describe Israel's exile as a swallowing by a sea monster. So, in a way, Jonah's life is a parable and a prediction of Israel's fate in the future. Because Israel proudly no longer is willing to accept the outsider into their midst, Mm -hmm. Jonah is pre-living Israel's exile by being swallowed by a great sea monster. Like, that was fascinating to me. I had no idea. And 
right? And then it makes a lot more sense of the gospel accounts when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees yeah. who are angry at him for doing what? Including tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners at his table and eating with them. Oh, they're just like Jonah. They refuse to accept the outsider preach the good news of the Jewish gospel as they understood it to them, excluding them just as Jonah did. But Jesus comes along and is going to be swallowed by exile just like them. Anyway, yeah. I thought that was fascinating. That is fascinating. I have exegetical questions about that, but we can talk <laughs> about that another time. Um, so, Seth, thank you so much for your friendship. Thanks for your passion for the gospel and nerdy things. I love it. You are welcome back on this podcast anytime you want uh, to geek out and to, to nerd back. out on uh, <laughs> on all this exegetical uh, minutia that sounds unimportant, but get into it. Holy oh, it's cow, so this is it's so, so beautiful. <laughs> the scriptures are so beautiful. So, fellow listeners, thank you for your important ministry and work to unfold the scriptures before our students, uh, not just to inform their heads, but to capture their imagination and to draw them to the Lord, recognizing that the gospel really is good news of great joy for all people. Well, thanks for joining us for this conversation. Please visit youthpastortheologian.com to learn more about our resources. You can find us on social media at Youth Theologian. We also have an active Facebook group where you can ask questions, share articles, and generally encourage fellow youth pastor theologians who are in the trenches with you. We'd sure appreciate it if you'd be so kind as to subscribe, leave a review, or even recommend this podcast to fellow youth workers. You can also subscribe to get new articles delivered to your inbox and to ensure that you don't miss any fresh content by checking out our website at youthpastortheologian.com. Most of all, we appreciate your ministry and your partnership in the gospel. If there's a topic that you'd like us to address, or if you have an article to submit for the blog, then you can also share those on our website by following the submissions tab. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>